once again, since believers will judge over worldly and angelic issues in the millennial kingdom, why did they look to the human courts to judge after their affairs, the affairs of the church itself? They were actually airing out their dirty laundry before the unbelievers, which diminished their testimony before others. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Alright students, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In chapter 5, we find that Paul was dealing with a sinning brother and the effects that the condoning of his sin within the fellowship was having upon the church. And here we find in chapter 6 that Paul reminds the church that we are not our own. And he does this while dealing with the Corinthians' tendency to take their disputes to the human courts. And he actually names 10 specific sins that go against the word of God here in this chapter. And finally, he closes out expanding upon the dangers of sexual immorality. We find a chapter that deals with so many sins and the effects that they have upon our lives, whether directly or indirectly, Paul beautifully reminds the church. He reminds us of the position that we have in Christ Jesus and to whom we belong. So I titled this message, We Are Not Our Own. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at all 20 verses of the chapter. We're going to begin by looking at judgments that pertain to life, verses 1 through 6. The unrighteous and the righteous, verses 7 through 11. And finally, every movie's got to say the title of their movie somewhere in the show, We Are Not Our Own. There's the title again, our third point, verses 12 through 20. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. I'll go ahead and read the context for us and open us in prayer. Judgments that pertain to life. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more 
things that pertain to this life. If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. And Father, I pray that you would bless our time together this morning in your word. And I pray, Father, that you would just use this word to teach us and, Lord, to remind us to whom we belong. This day we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So he begins by, uh, how dare you? That's pretty strong words. If someone would say that to us, you know, how dare you? And this is Paul to the church of Corinth. Dare any of you having a matter against another to go to law before the unrighteous. Most of the Corinthian believers were Gentiles who were familiar with the Grecian court system. And it appears that they had taken their lives and put them into compartments. Two main groupings, that of the spiritual and that of the physical. In matters of faith and the gifts of the spirit, they considered themselves citizens of heaven. Yet in matters of their physical lives, they conducted themselves in the accepted norms of the Grecian society. Paul reminded them that they were more. We go back to Jewish law. We discover that Jewish tradition and practice of compromise was based on mediation and arbitration. It was actually based upon the legal code that was developed from the Torah or from the Bible. It was expanded upon in oral tradition. But even over the centuries, even when they were in diaspora, they were outside of the land of Israel, they handled a lot of their own situations within their own community. They handled and had a kind of a autonomous system of civil law within their own community. But Grecian law was a little bit different. In the ancient Greeks, and I know that actually our system today is set up based on this ancient Greek method of law to try, convict, and to sentence guilty persons. And I don't know about the timing of this, but they did create a court system in an ancient Greek Courts were initially, they were cheap and they were run by people today that would be called amateurs. Court officials were paid little, if anything, and most trials were completed in the same day, private cases even more quickly. There was no professional court officials there in the beginning, no lawyers, no official judges. The normal case consisted of two people who would argue that an unlawful act was committed, another would argue in his defense, and the jurors and the people then would vote for one side or the other, and the guilty would be then sentenced, a punishment would be decided for them. Paul was not saying here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that Christians should stay out of the legal system, that Christians cannot sue, cannot go to court, but he is reminding them that many of the disputes that were being dealt with in the court of what he called the unbelievers, he said these could be handled in-house. Why are you going outside? He reminded them that during the millennial reign of Christ, the saints of Christ 
would both judge worldly and angelic issues. One day, in the millennial reign of Christ, the Lord will have us judging, sitting in judgment. And Paul concludes, since believers will sit in judgment during the millennial kingdom, shouldn't they be able to judge in matters that pertain to this life? I love it that in Zechariah 3, 7, the Lord said to Joshua, the high priest, if you will walk in my ways and if you will keep my command, then you shall also judge my house and likewise have charge of my courts. And I will give you places to walk among these who stand here. Now, Joshua, at this point, when the Lord is speaking to him in Zechariah chapter three, he has been taken up into the heavenly realm. And he challenges Joshua and says, all you need to do is walk in my ways and keep my command and I will make you a judge in my house. I will give you a place in the heavenly realm. I will give you a place to walk among these who stand here. And I believe that's true for us today, that we need to learn to walk in the ways of the Lord, to keep the commands of the Lord. If we learn, quite frankly, to walk in the ways of Christ and to keep his commands, it will keep a lot of these court issues away from us. We just won't have to deal with them. But here we find in the church in Corinth that actually brother was going against brother in verses four through six. Then if you have a judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Once again, since believers will judge over worldly and angelic issues in the millennial kingdom, why did they look to the human courts to judge after their affairs, the affairs of the church itself? They were actually airing out their dirty laundry before the unbelievers which diminished their testimony before others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we looked at a three-step process that the Lord Jesus Christ gave us in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, but the actual three-step process found in verses 15 through 17, where Jesus taught about dealing with a sinning brother. He gave us a three-step process to first go to that individual alone, if they will not hear you, then take two or three with you. Not for the purpose, let me remind you, not for the purpose of gaining up on that brother or sister, but that they would be able to hear the case. If the brother still does not listen, then take it before the church. Jesus said in Matthew eighteen twenty, for where two or more are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And it tells us that Jesus will be with us when we try to resolve issues and circumstances within our church, within our lives today as believers in Jesus Christ. The Corinthians, though, they were not looking to Jesus, not looking to the church leaders to re help resolve these conflicts, but looking to an ungodly court system of the world. And today, we find many believers are unwilling actually to receive the correction of the church they would rather leave a fellowship or take matters to the judicial system rather than to accept the decision of the church. In Philippians 2, 
verses 14 and 15, it tells us how we are to conduct ourselves. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Do all things without complaining or disputing. There was a brother at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa when I worked there as a janitor, and he was a groundskeeper, that I knew that if I said to this individual, how are you doing? I was going to get a story. So after a while, I learned to just say, hi. <laughs> I didn't ask. You know, with guys, it's usually, how's it going? Yeah, all right. That's all you want, right, guys? You don't want a life story right there. You just want an acknowledgement. But I knew when we were out in California, this particular person would complain, and he complained a lot. He lost his job over it. He complained so much. Since we will represent Jesus in the millennial kingdom, shouldn't we represent him now upon this earth? Well, we find in our second point, the unrighteous and the righteous, verses 7 through 11, I'll go ahead and read the context for us. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 7. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be defrauded? No, you yourselves do wrong and defraud. And you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, or adulterers, or homosexuals, or sodomites, or thieves, or covetous, or drunkards, or revilers, or extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. This passage is a difficult passage for many within the church to teach. But as we went through 1 Corinthians chapter 5 a couple of weeks ago, I also said that 1 Corinthians chapter 5 was a difficult passage. You know, when I come to teaching difficult passages, it's difficult. But I also said a couple of weeks ago, let's go ahead and just see what the word of God says. And that's what I want us to do here. What does the Bible say? Not what does the world say? I was thinking about this when I was sitting out there during our worship songs. I know I should have been singing and worshiping, but I was thinking about my message. But I believe today there are many churches it would read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, saying, such are some of you. Such are some of you instead of such were some of you. But Paul here names 10 specific sins. He lays them out, some pretty hard issues. And he tells the people that going before the secular court was another failure on their part. And it diminished their testimony before others. Instead, he said, why don't you just accept wrong and be cheated? Instead, they did wrong and they cheated. They even cheated their own brethren. 
And thus Paul reminded them that their conduct is worse than the unbelievers who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I know it's hard to let someone cheat you, let someone take advantage of you. But the Lord taught us in Matthew 5, verses 39 through 41, I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Now in the Roman system at that time, they had, we have them today, mile markers. They had white stones painted on the sides of their roadways. The reason they had mile markers, well, same for us. You know how far it is to a certain city. Maybe they even had signs that said 50 miles to Jerusalem. But there was also another reason. A Roman soldier could compel any citizen or non-citizen, not the Roman citizens, but the non-citizens, to carry their pack for one mile and no more. So they set up mile markers that a Roman soldier would say to uh, a Jewish man, carry my backpack for the next mile. The Jewish man would pick it up, carry it for a mile, hit that mile marker, set it down, and say, I'm done. His obligation was fulfilled. And yet Jesus said, if someone compels you to carry it for a mile, go too. Can you imagine the Roman soldier with a Christian going the extra mile? That's where we get that phrase from. Probably for a mile, he's wondering, what in the world is this guy up to? He was done way back there. We, he might have even said, we already passed the marker. You know you don't have to do this anymore. Yeah, I want to. I want to do this for you. Why would you want to do this for me? It probably blew his mind. Paul said to the Corinthians, why don't you just be cheated? Why don't you just accept the wrong instead of going to the courts? But even worse, they were doing wrong and cheating others, even their own brethren. Now, Paul didn't water it down in any way, but he used the word of God to expose sin. And he named 10 different things here. It's not all but he named 10 in this list. In fornication, it, literally it's a pronos. It's a Greek word that refers to a male prostitute, but biblically it came to be understood as any sexual immorality. Idolaters, it is a Greek word that refers to a servant or a worshiper of an idol. Adulterers, it speaks about one who has had sexual intercourse, a married man having sexual intercourse with a spouse of another, adultery. Homosexuals, uh, literally, it means soft to the touch. It's used twice in Matthew, this word used twice in Matthew 11.8 to refer to a soft garment, a soft shirt that you might have on. But it speaks about here in 1 Corinthians 6.9 of a male who practiced this form of lewdness, of homosexuality, of addiction to the sins of the flesh. Sodomites, it is a Greek word that refers to a male who engages in sexual activity with men and boys. And we find that in our own culture today, as homosexuality now has been more accepted and is being thrust at us, that it's not limiting itself to initially 
what they were seeking. There, there are pedophiles out there who are wanting to say, let's make this legal too. Let's make having sex with children legal also. These things were legal back in the Grecian days, and they were spoken about as sin in Scripture. Thieves, uh, this speaks about someone who steals by fraud or in secret. And so not openly, but they are thieving around secretly. The covetous, someone who wants more, wants what someone else has. He's a defrauder to gain that of what others have. A drunkard refers to those who habitually drink too much. They become heavy drinkers, we would say today. Revilers, it speaks about being abusive and reviling or railing upon someone. Extortioners, it means to seize upon, as we might think um, we have coyotes running around in this area. And just think about a coyote going for the kill. And that moment that he goes for the kill, that's what this Greek word refers to. To seize upon like an animal or a wolf would go upon someone at the kill. But the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. After Paul listed out these 10 specific sins by name, he says this beautiful verse of scripture, and such were some of you. I love 1 Corinthians 6.11. I've had this as a favorite verse of scripture for many years. For it is through faith in Jesus Christ that we have become righteous in the sight of God, that we are in a right standing with God. And as a result, the before mentioned sins, the 10 that Paul had named, maybe others that he did not name, sins of unrighteousness, they're canceled out by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there at the cross, such were some of you. What made the difference? Well, we find it here in verse 11. First of all, that you were washed. Now, this is a different Greek word than that of being baptized. It's not saying that you were dipped in the water. Baptismal means to dip. That's not what this Greek word, it's a word that means to bathe, to wash away. And it actually speaks about the inner cleansing that has taken place in your life to be washed, not to be baptized. Baptism is good, but baptism is an outward sign of the inner work that Jesus Christ has done in your heart. To be washed here speaks about that inner work that Christ has washed away your sins by his blood. Jesus Christ, he washes us from the inside out through his work on the cross. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 7, but if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Another way that we are washed from the inside out is through the very word of God. Another verse that I love is Ephesians 5.26. I named my teaching ministry after this, the cleansing word, where in Ephesians 5.26, it says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. The washing of the water by the word. That just as you might wash off physically before you go to bed at night, summertime you've been wearing some, uh, the kids would say slippers today. We might say flip-flops around here in the Midwest. Kids would say slides. Hawaiians would say slippers. We would say flip-flops. I'll get it right there. 
Either way, you're wearing sandals without socks on, unless you're from California. I don't know what's up with them. But your feet get dirty. And you want to wash those before you go to bed. So true is the word of God that in this life, as I said, coming to the communion table today, that there is this washing that takes place, the washing by the water of God's word, just by reading the word of God. There is a cleansing process that takes place in our lives through the reading, and the study of the word of God. He purges out the old life. He makes us new. We can draw near with a true heart of full assurance because our hearts have been washed by the precious blood of Christ and our bodies been cleansed by the pure water of his word. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us today to come together to spend time in worship and song over the communion table, over the teaching of your word, but also, Lord, as this meal we share together now. I pray, Lord, that you would bless our time together. And I pray, Lord, that our fellowship would be just glorifying to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.